Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he died for our sins and that you raised him from the dead. And we thank you, Father, for the indwelling Holy Spirit and your word. We thank you, Father, that you gathered us together as one family and one body today so that we could participate in the gifts you've given us, especially the word of God preached and the fellowship of one another, the singing, the giving. All of that, Father, we know is from you, and we thank you so much for every good gift you give us. We also pray this morning, Father, for those that are in turmoil and difficulty and pain, we would pray, Father, that you would give them relief from these things and to help them understand what they're all about for their lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Welcome again, everybody. I'd like to let you know about a few things before we get started with the message today. We're uh, featuring, looking at, praying for Grace Prison Ministries this month. They're a ministry that goes into the prisons and the jails and preaches the gospel and teaches them the word of God. They had their conference yesterday in the prison And we would just like to once again thank you for what you've done and what you will be doing for this ministry. I haven't got a report yet, but I can tell you every one of these has always been very fruitful. Um, If you'd like to support this uh, conference, it's over now, but the expenses continue. And you can send donations to that address, P.O. Box 171052, Nashville, Tennessee, 37217. Also, this year, as we have many times in the past, we're going to be supporting the Christmas care packages that are going to be given out in Pakistan by Grace Bible Church Pakistan. They uh, set a goal this year to raise $12,000. And as, you, as many of you know, they, uh, they have two packages they put together, one for students in their academy and one for the children in the villages that they also go visit and minister to. So if you want to be a part of that, you can again just, uh, you can see that if you want to support the student packages at the academy, they're $15 for each kid. In the village, they're $7 for each kid. So we ask you to please pray for that. By the way, um, please make out any checks to GBC Pakistan, Grace Bible Church Pakistan. If you want to send just to one, if you want to send to the students, make sure that you put that on the comments of the check. If you want to just send it to the villages, Children, you can write that on your check as well. Deadline for donations for this, December 1st, December 1st. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of November, and so we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together, bringing into remembrance the death of the Lord next Sunday, November 3rd. The following Sunday, November 10th, we're going to have another outreach session, okay? Another outreach session on the 10th. So next Sunday, Lord's Supper, Sunday after that, outreach session at the end of after service. I want to remind everybody, too, that we are about to go into the message today. And if you need a Bible, please just raise your hand. We'll make sure you have one. Okay, let's get started. The title of today's message comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 7. The title of today's message from 1 Corinthians 12, 7. At this time, I'd like you to turn there. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. When you have the opportunity to do that, we'll get started with today's message. And again, the title is For the Common Good. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about... I'm going to give you the scripture. I probably should do that. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11. That's where we're headed. Remember, 12, 13, and 14 are a unit. And they're all about one thing. Namely, how should the spiritual gifts be employed in the local congregation? That's really what they're all about. That's really what Paul is, is focused on. He's concerned about. However, we won't see the practical side of this until chapter 14, the second part, where he goes through, okay, now now that you've seen all the things that I've explained and taught you about these gifts, now here's how I want you to behave in the congregation with respect to them. That's the broad outline of these three chapters. But again, I want you to to reconcentrate on this phrase for the common good. See, all too often when people get into the subject of spiritual gifts, they want to look at it from their point of view. You know, what gift do I have? And so forth. Well, that's really not the issue. The issue is that these gifts are for the whole body. They're given from the spirit to the body. You just happen to be the vehicle that that they drive in. 
but they're given by the Spirit to the body. And we want to keep that in mind. We want to continue to see things that way so we don't slip into self-centeredness or meaningless things that we waste time on with respect to these gifts. So let's begin today in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one, each member of the body of Christ, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. Notice this passage, this paragraph, begins in verse 7, talking about the manifestation of the Spirit and the common good. Notice in verse 11, it's the Spirit working all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. We're going to see today what He wills. You can kind of see it in verse 7. We're going to then step up and say, well, what's that all about? Why is it that the Spirit is gifting each one of us for the common good? See, there's a greater picture here that we're going to get into. As to, and it comes down to what is the Spirit's real role ultimately? Why has He been given to us? We're going to see that. Alright, so again, chapters 12, 13, and 14 are dealing with what it means to be spiritual, and in particular, how do believers should exercise their gifts in the congregation, how we should exercise our gifts in the congregation. That's really what he's focused on. And of course, in chapter 11, he was focused on the same issue, which is how, how are you celebrating the Lord's Supper when you gather together? Okay, it's always about the unity of the body here. Why he, the thing that he really is upset about are the divisions and the rivalries. Why? Because that breaks up the unity of the body. He's focused on that. He wants people to enter into that and how they think and how they behave. It's for the common good. It's for the body of Christ. Don't think about yourself. Don't get carried away with this or that particular manifestation. Understand that it's all for one purpose, one source. So we saw that last week. Now, in verses 8 to 10, I think you can see that he names a group of gifts. He identifies a grouping. These, this list is not comprehensive. By any means. Okay? As a matter of fact, at the end of chapter 12, and I'd like you to see that now, look at verse 27. See, in verses 27 to 30, he has another list. He has two other lists. Actually, three different lists in chapter 12. And they're all different. Notice in verse 27, now you are Christ's body. There it is again. The focus on the body. He leads off with that. Remember, the body is the issue. You're individually members of it, and you're gifted as individuals, but for the benefit of the body as a whole. And God has appointed in the church, first, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Now, so far, we see apostles and teachers. They weren't in the list we started with today. They're here. Miracles. Gifts of healings, those are in the list at the beginning of the chapter, but then he goes on. Helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And notice again, in this this particular verse, he's placing it in a certain order. There are some in common with what we saw in verses 8 to 10, some different. Then he goes on. He says, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of of healings, do they? And all do not speak with tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? So he's mentioning a group of gifts at the beginning and at the end. The ones at the end have some things in common with the first group and some things and some differences. Okay, What this is all about is that Paul is illustrating the variety that he talked about in verses 4, 5, and 6. Varieties of gifts, varieties of of uh, ministries, varieties of, of workings of God the Father. So he's emphasizing variety, all right, and that's in the picture of unity. Now he's saying, listen, here's some of them. 
Here, to give you a sense of the variety of ways that the Spirit manifested Himself in the Corinthian congregation at that time, He gives us this list. It's not all of the gifts, but it's ones that He picks for purpose because He's going to teach them something and He's handpicking the gifts that He wants to include in this package so that he can, see, he, can, he can teach them what they need to understand about the gifts. All right, I want you to notice, if you, if you go back to verse 7 now, I want you to see something. Go back to 1 Corinthians twelve seven. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first the pot. Whoops, that's the wrong one. But to each one, you're like, that's not in verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. But I want you to notice something about the gifts mentioned here in chapter 12. And it's actually pretty simple. Chapter 12 doesn't give us any additional information about any of these gifts beyond mentioning them. There's no description of these gifts. They're just mentioned might wonder why that is. Well, it's intentional. Because you know what? If he got into all of the uh, details about it, what would be happening is people would then be looking at the individual gifts, focusing on them, and saying, I like that one better, and so forth. So he intentionally does not give any information because he's just picking these out as illustrations of his real point. And his real point is that, is that we are members of one another. We're all given a manifestation of the Spirit trust that you have one, it's for the common good. And the Spirit is the one at work. That's his message. And so what he's using these gifts for is to illustrate the variety of ways that the Spirit has manifested himself in the congregation in Corinth at that time. Notice how that's worded. In the Corinthian congregation, it's specific to them at that time. It's specific to that time. Keep in mind that. So again, they show variety. Variety of gifts, variety of ministries, varieties of workings. The whole emphasis in chapter 12, though, is on the Spirit. It's on the Spirit and His work to build up the one body using a variety of gifts. A variety. And that's, that's basically how he leaves it. He's saying, the Spirit is at work. And he's building up the whole body, the common good, using a variety of gifts. He gets to choose which gifts he gives to any congregation. He gets to choose how they will function. So that's his business. Our business is to understand the source, the spirit, what he's doing, his purpose, building up the body for the common good. Now, verses 8 to 10, as we've already seen, show a variety. Variety of gifts. Variety of ministries. Varieties of working. But notice verse 7 and 11 again. I've got to emphasize this again. See, they frame it. Here's a, here's a list, but the framework for it is in 7 and 11. And what is it? To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, I know we've already heard that three times today, but it's a training exercise. I think for, for many of us, we've been in different uh, maybe congregations or books or everything, and they're always about all the details about the gifts. And you see, that's the wrong focus. The focus should be their manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's the Spirit. He's one. He works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. That those are the key points. All right? The specifics are there, but that's not where the emphasis should be. Because the gifts are great. There's no question about it. When you look at these gifts that are here, described here, they're awesome. But so are the ones in Romans 12. We won't go there today. Again, yet another list. Those more practical. 
And so the point is not to fixate on the gifts, but to say, wow, this is great that we've all been gifted. We should never lose sight of the Holy Spirit because whatever that gift is, think about it, what that gift is has nothing to do with you. It's the way the Spirit wants to manifest Himself to the congregation. That's really what is important. The Spirit is at work. He's given the perfect gift situation for our congregation. And we leave it there. The Spirit, in other words, reveals Himself in the gifts. That's what we should be focused on. We shouldn't be focused on an individual, but rather the fact that the Spirit has revealed Himself because this gift is present. Okay? By the way, they all involve public and observable actions and speech. Public and observable actions and speech. Why? Because He's revealing Himself. All right? He's invisible. But when he brings a manifestation through a person, that will be public. When a, when a, when a person preaches the word of God, when a, when a person has a gift of wisdom or knowledge, any of these gifts, administration, helps, giving, any of these things are visible. We see the, the Spirit at work in one another. They're public, observable actions and speech. And a gift does not need to be spectacular in order to do that. It doesn't need to be spectacular in order to do that. We could see a brother or a sister who is really great at administration. Now, there's nothing glorious about administration, folks. It's the, it's the nitty-gritty day in and day out, making sure the building's okay, making sure that we have the finances that we need, and so forth. Okay? There's nothing glorious about it. Okay? But it reveals the Spirit nonetheless. The gift of helps. Again, no one's going to make that into a big deal Because you're just the glue that puts the congregation together. Not just. That's really important. And when somebody is gifted in that way, and you see them at work, you know, a lot of times, one of the ways you'll know that you're seeing the Spirit at work is because you're like, well, I can't do that. You know? I can't be that merciful all the time to all these people. So you realize that, and then sometimes we just focus on ourselves and say, I'm not good enough, and so forth, rather than saying nobody's good enough. And what that is, is a manifestation of the Spirit. He's revealing himself in these gifts. They don't need to be spectacular in order to do this. So what does it mean that God the Spirit is revealing himself in these gifts? Well, I want you to think about the Old Testament now. I want you to think about the nation of Israel in the wilderness, in the desert. When they were there, they received manifestations of God. Right? There was the pillar of fire by night, remember? There was the cloud by day. Well, they were manifestations of the Lord, and in particular, to show them, to put them at rest, that the Lord was with them. And, and to a large extent, that's no different now with the gifts of the Spirit. We know when we see these public observable actions and understand that they're supernatural because they're coming from the Spirit, it does the same thing for us. We know the Spirit is at work. He's here. We have confidence. We have rejoicing about that. Our gifts serve to remind us all that the Spirit is indwelling the church. He's at work to edify the church. We need to know that and rest in that. Now, I mentioned a little while ago that, that the Spirit is working things together for the common good, but it's the building up of the whole body. And you have to ask yourself, well, which body, right? It's the body of Christ. So when he's working to build up, using these manifestations to build up the body of Christ, he's actually glorifying Christ. And you see, that is the one role ultimately that the Spirit has. He's ultimately here to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ by making him known. That's the role of the Spirit. I want you to see this in John chapter 16. If you could turn there now, Jesus is now, and the night before he suffers, he's in the upper room with his disciples. And he's teaching them about what will be after he rises from the dead. What will begin? What will happen when he ascends into heaven? He's going to say that everything's going to change. He's going to say the way, he's going to talk particularly about the Spirit. He says, the way you understand him now will be blown away by the way you'll understand him after I'm seated in heaven. All right, so he tells them about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see this. John chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I want you to notice that. He's saying, I taught you things when I'm here on earth, but there's much, much more I want you to know, but you can't bear them yet. You may say, well, why not? 
But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. All of it. He says, you can't bear it now because you don't have the Spirit in you yet. But when He comes, He's the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all the truth. And He says, He will not speak on His own initiative. What instead, whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. But notice the purpose. Notice the function. Notice what the Spirit assignment is in verse 14. He will glorify me, Christ. He will glorify me, for He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said that He takes of mine and will disclose it to you. He has information that's never been revealed before. The Spirit knows all the truth. The Spirit knows the mind of Christ. He doesn't speak on His own initiative, but He hears what the Lord wants Him to say, and He says it. He glorifies the Lord. And that's what we need to understand. When He's at work, He's ultimately glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He's really all about. And whatever He's doing in the body, it's for that ultimate purpose, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And He'll use information. As a matter of fact, six out of nine of these gifts are communication gifts, So it really does involve a lot of communicating with the body in order for them to be built up. But they're built up into the mind of Christ, into the fullness of the Son of God. Now, let's get a little practical here. Let's let's, let's look at how we should approach this, especially in chapter 12. You see, there are several things that we all need to understand about these gifts that are mentioned in chapter 12 so we don't get sidetracked. First one, we limit the scope to how these gifts operated in the church at Corinth during the first century A.D. That's how we're going to approach this. Because that's what Paul was... He wasn't, he wasn't talking about anything other than that congregation at that time. So with that congregation at that time, some of the gifts that were operating are described in chapter 12. But again, the focus, the scope, is on how they operated then and where they were then. That's the first one. The second one, there's a temptation. Most of you know there's there's been a debate in the church for a long time, um, basically in the 20th century and now, as to whether the gifts, these particular ones, are still operating today or whether they've stopped. Right? Does the gift of miracles still operate today or has it ceased to operate? And so forth. And that's, of course, a... No, anytime there's one of those controversial questions, you know, we tend to want to just jump right into that. Let's find out. Let's talk about that. I think that they haven't. I think they have, right? We're going to table that. Because <laughs> Paul doesn't deal with that at all in chapter 12. All he's dealing with was these gifts were currently in operation in Corinth in the first century. For now, we're just going to look at it that way. Paul will address the question of whether these gifts have ceased operating. But he won't do that until chapter 13. So if we're wise, we will wait until chapter 13 to dig into that particular question, and we will. So the third thing, I mentioned this already, we just have to accept the fact. Paul gives very little information about the nature of these gifts. He just mentions most of them, especially in chapter 12. You know, He mentions them, but he doesn't say what they are, really. He just mentions them. And again, we've seen that was on purpose because he didn't want to make the focus individual gifts, but rather the source of the Spirit and the effects in building up the congregation. So we shouldn't fill in the blank. That's that's the temptation, right? When we want to know more and God has not chosen to reveal it, men choose to put it in there anyway, come up with their interpretation, come up with what they think the gift is. We're not going to do that. We're going to stick to what the Bible says, or doesn't say. And as a matter of fact, there won't be really any information at all about these gifts other than their names until chapter 14. And even there, he's just going to deal with two of them. We'll see that. In other words, this is the big thing. We can't assume that the practice of these gifts today, where they are practiced, has anything in common with how they operated in Corinth in the first century. That's the temptation. The temptation is to say, well, you know, I got a friend and he's Pentecostal and this is how he speaks in tongues. And they all do it and they're all singing and there's a special... Oh, that's nice, but that has nothing to do with how they operated in the first century. And it's the same thing with several of these gifts. We have to think about the don't. 
It's called, an, it's called anachronistic thinking. If you want to get fancy, it just says, you know, here's, we, pay, we take what, what's happening, or we think is happening, or might be happening today, and we just bring it back and paste it on the first century. That makes no sense. We should limit it and assume that the practice of these gifts today, where they're practiced, doesn't have anything in common with what, how they operated in Corinth in the first century. This is particularly important to remember when we look at tongues and prophecy and the word of wisdom and of knowledge. Okay, Back to verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 7. Remember I said to cut it out and paste it on the wall of your heart? Why? Because it, this one verse captures everything Paul wanted to get across to them about the exercise of spiritual gifts in the congregation. He wanted to know, them to know that each one is given, that it's a manifestation of the Spirit. Don't emphasize the person, but the Spirit at work, and it's for the common good. And again, if you keep that perspective throughout these three chapters, you won't drift. You won't be sidetracked. You come back again to verse 7. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You can, by the way, hang all of chapters 12, 13, and 14 on the one verse you're looking at right now, verse 7 of chapter 12. Why? Because it gives us the who, the how, the what, and the why. I'll tell you what it's not. The who is not a special few people. The how isn't that they they earn their gift. The what isn't focused on the gift itself. And it certainly isn't given so that they can make themselves superior to the rest. That's all wrong. Well, what's right? Who? Each one. Each one. You and me in this generation, in this place. We're all given the manifestation of the Spirit. Because every believer, we'll see this later on in chapter 12, every one of us has been baptized. We've been baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit. The same one Spirit has baptized all of us into the one body of Christ. And therefore, since we're all members, each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Each one. Not a special privileged few. How? How does this, how is this done? It's always by grace, right? For to each one is given. Gracious. By grace, God graciously gives these gifts. He's free to give any gift He wants at any time to any individual. As a matter of fact, the less honorable among us often get the more honoring gifts. It's kind of flipped around. From, he does that a lot, doesn't he? He, he? We have our own human approach to things, and he just flips it on his backside. In Israel, in the time of David, they had their own idea that the firstborn should be the privileged one. So what does the Lord do? He flips it over and says, nope, the lastborn will be the privileged one. He's always doing that, and he does it here. He's saying, you look at people and you think, well, they're less honorable, they don't deserve it, blah, blah, blah. And and what does he do? He gifts them with with the most amazing honoring gifts on purpose. Why? So there'll be unity. So there'll be unity. You know, yeah, out there in the world, everybody thinks you're the best and and amazing and all of that. But in the church, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the person that comes in, they're not well-clothed, they're not well-spoken, and we're going to give them a great communication gift. And you're going to have that gift of giving. <laughs> and that's how it's going to work, so that we'll be united inside the church. All right, what are we talking about? Well, well the, at the time, the Corinthians were talking about their gift, how it made them higher than the other. The gift of tongues, they thought was really the one. And the gift of prophecy, those were the two that they most admired. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, all focused on these individual gifts. That is not the what. The what is simple. The manifestation of the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, that's what they all have in common. That's what's important. It doesn't matter who receives what gift. Or even what gifts are operating at any point in time. What matters is that God is at work in the church. Amen? God is at work in the church. And that's enough. That is enough. He wants to know us to know that these gifts show that the Spirit is at work. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. You gotta, I'm going to keep repeating this because it's so important. Because I know human nature. I know myself. I remember when I was teaching this subject maybe 
not that long ago, seven years ago, I did, a, I did volumes and volumes of study on all the different gifts, you know, and ultimately I was sort of confused. You know, I really could never pin down what they exactly all were. It seemed like they did, they, certain things were contradictory, and I was like, so I, I learned from that. Why? Because you got the wrong emphasis. The emphasis is on the Spirit, Him manifesting Himself into the body of Christ. It doesn't matter who receives what gift. And then the why. What's the why? Why are these manifestations of the Spirit given? Very simply, for the common good. For the common good. All right, that's what should be our focus. You know, he's going to say later on that none of these gifts are anything. They're useless without love. So where should our priority be? If we want to be active in our gift, whatever that manifestation is, should we be focused on the manifestation? Not, no. We should focus on the source, the Holy Spirit, and love. If, we, if our eyes are on the Lord at work, and we understand that it's love that really matters at the end, then that's what we'll focus on. It won't matter what gift you have, what I have, just that we're all working for the common good here, building up the congregation as a whole, one body, so that the saints will all be equipped for the work of service, and each member will contribute to building up the body of Christ in love. So let's now see some of the various ways in which the manifestations of the Spirit were in evidence in the church at Corinth in the first century A.D., Verse 8. Verse 8. For to each one is for to one rather is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. I want you to understand that Paul picked these things. He created this list to address the situation in Corinth. He is going to address the the gifts that were controversial and were causing division. He He wants to put those in the package, right? He does that with the first two and the last four. That's why they're in there, all right? Then in between, he's got gifts that illustrate the variety. They're not all of them. For to one is given the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, to another faith, another gifts of healing, to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. These are not all the gifts. Paul includes them To make his case. What's his case? Verse 7. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He selects this package so that he can drive the point home that each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit and it's for the common good. They need to be corrected in terms of how they saw some of these gifts and they need to understand other gifts that were given to others besides themselves. So that's what he's doing here. mentioned this already, but a majority of these gifts, six out of the nine, Related to speech. Notice that. First two. The word of wisdom. The word of knowledge. That has to do with speech. Then look at verse 10. To another prophecy. That's speech. To another the distinguishing of spirits. We'll see about that. That's speech. That's a companion gift to prophecy. And to another various kinds of tongues. They would be speaking no one would understand them. So what else did you need? Another the interpretation of tongues. Six out of the nine have to do with speaking, communicating. Now, why is that? Why would he pick six out of nine? Well, there's a couple of reasons, but one of them was is that, think about our Corinthian friends. What did they prize? Wisdom, knowledge, and eloquence, right? I'm of Apollos because he's a more eloquent speaker, and so forth. That's what they they prize, so that's how he's going to address these in particular. Now, you don't see this in the English, but the text in the Greek divides these nine gifts into three groups. Okay, they're into three groups. Now, you may not see that very often when we look at English translations. We don't see it at all. Maybe because they're not grouped the same way as this. Usually not. And also also because there's a marker in the Greek that you don't see in the English. You see, the, see the Greek has two separate words. 
And they're both for another. See how he said they're all to another. To another. To another faith. To another gift. To another and so forth. Well, the Greek text has two words for another. In other words, every time you see an another in this section, it's not always the same Greek word. There are two of them. There's a Greek word, alo. It means another of the same kind. These should be grouped together. They're the same kind. However, there's a second Greek word for another, and it's hetero. Now, we know hetero like heterosexual, right? What does that mean? It means they're different, right? They're different, men and women. It's getting to be harder and harder to convince our culture of this, but that's true. So hetero means another of a different kind. And you see, whenever that Greek word hetero, another of a different kind shows up, it means we're about to start a new group, okay? So what I want to do now is I want to read this passage again and tell you what all the, all the anothers are in the Greek. Okay, let's do it together. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another, alo, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So that means alo is of the same kind as wisdom. I mean alo. Knowledge is of the same kind as wisdom. They belong together. Okay? That's the first two. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge go together. They are both of the same kind. They have a lot in common with one another. Notice that they're both revelatory gifts. They're speaking gifts that reveal new things that they didn't know about. They reveal the wisdom and the knowledge that the Spirit provided them in a supernatural manner. So those are the same kind. Now let's go in verse 9. To another, that's hetero. That's a mocker that says the first group is complete. Now we're about to look at the second group. What is that? Faith by the same Spirit. And to another, that's alo, we're continuing in the same group. Gifts of healing by the one spirit. And to another, alo, another, put that together here. Give the effecting of miracles. And to another, alo, prophecy. And to another, alo, the distinguishing of spirits. Now here you have one group. You know, it begins with hetero and then is alo all the way across. Faith, gifts of healing, effecting of miracles. Prophecy and the distinguishing of spirits. Those five are grouped together. These next five gifts are a group. First two are one group. Second five are another group. They serve the purpose of showing the variety. These, these five show the variety. There were a variety of other gifts besides the ones the Corinthians highly prized. That's the message. He didn't pick all of them, but he picked enough so they could see, well, there's a lot of variety. There's more here than what we thought was important. We weren't really considering what else was going on. It also appears that faith, gifts of healing, and the effecting of miracles were sign gifts. They, they were given as a sign of something. The gifts of faith, gifts of healing, and the effecting of miracles were sign gifts. They were there to provide a sign. Now, we don't know exactly what that's, why they were there. We, people try to figure it out. And see, usually... In the Bible, in the New Testament period, supernatural signs like these, faith, gifts of healing, the effecting of miracles, they usually serve to confirm that the message and or the messenger, an apostle, even the Lord Jesus Christ of offering himself as the Messiah, these supernatural signs confirmed that the message and the messenger were genuine. They really were sent by God. That's what they usually were used for. I want to prove this to you. All right, if you could turn, please, now to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Usually, the sign gifts were associated with an apostle or a communicator who was first on the scene. And he had to be, he had, they had to know that he was from God. And the miracles, the healings, faith served that purpose. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Notice this. After it was at the first, spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Heard directly from the Lord. Now, who heard directly from the Lord? The apostles, 
to a limited degree. They, they were taught things when he was here. They were taught some things after he rose from the dead. But even, even more so, the Apostle Paul. You see, he heard directly from the Lord. He would say that in the book of Galatians, for example. So they're saying, you know what? The Lord spoke. It was those who heard, and they came to us, and it was confirmed to us. How, did, how was it confirmed that they were from the Lord, that their message originated with the Lord? Verse 4, God also testifying with them. He's attesting to the fact that they have these words from the Lord. How? both by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So in other words, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, they were all there to confirm the fact that these messengers were generally sent by the Lord. I want you to look at one other place where it says the same thing. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. Why were the sign gifts on the scene in the first century? Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Second now, not first Corinthians, but second Corinthians. Verse chapter twelve, verse twelve. <clears throat> See the same thing. The signs, there's that sign of who? A true apostle. Now we read elsewhere in the letters that there are false apostles, right? Paul in the letter of Philippians will talk about false apostles. But here he's saying that the sign of a true apostle, the signs, plural, of a true apostle were performed among you. Who? The Corinthians. The same church that we're studying in 1 Corinthians. He's saying, I am a true apostle. The signs that I'm a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance. How? By signs and wonders and miracles. In other words, Paul came accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles so that his message would be understood to be genuine and being brought by a true apostle. That's usually how these signs work. It's usually why they were there. It's interesting, too, that even in the Old Testament, when there's a new period, when Moses is on the scene and he has to convince himself that he's from God, how did God do that? Miracles. Think about all the miracles. The parting of the Red Sea, for example. Of striking a rock and having water come out of it. That's pretty miraculous. The different plagues that they brought on. Moses and Aaron brought on the Egyptian people. Miracle after miracle. When Elijah's on the scene, he's about to introduce the period of prophets. What did he have? Miracles, right? Miracles, he performed miracles in their midst. But not all the time. Most of the time, miracles were not on the scene. I mean, you can read about the life of David. David never performed a miracle, for example. So they're here for various points of time when something new is coming and people have to understand that this really is from the Lord. And so this is confirmed by means of these signs and wonders and miracles. Now, that's what they usually wore. But here we are in Corinth, and these, these gifts... You know, if you want to go back there now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8, 9, and 10. And in particular, 9, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 9. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. Oh, so now miracles and healings, that, that, was, that was for the apostles, they were the ones that performed them, and the reason was so that they would have a sign, that they would have their calling card. Hey, I really am from the Lord. So you've got to say to yourself, wait a minute, though. Now, here in Corinth, these same gifts are given to the congregation. By the way, congregation is made up of believers, mostly. And, and so and they, Paul's already come. He's already had the signs and wonders that confirmed that he is a true apostle. So you have to ask yourself a question. Well, if that's all been done, why? what's the need for members of the body to also have these gifts of healings and faith and miracles? You want to know the answer to that? I don't have it. It's not at all clear what role these signed gifts played in the congregation at Corinth. It certainly didn't mark out some, some of them as genuine and the others as fake. No. We don't know. We've got to leave it at that. This is what I mean. There's, there's more that's not said than that is said about these gifts in chapter 12. 
Now we then see prophecy in verse 10, to another prophecy. Well, we can have a debate and study this and go to all the passages, the Old Testament prophets, the prophets in the book of Acts. But what they all have in common are four simple words. Thus says the Lord. That's the job of the prophet, to communicate what the Lord says, a message to the people. Thus says the Lord. That's the job of a prophet. He speaks from the Lord to the people. Right? All the prophets in the Old Testament did that. Isaiah was given a message from the Lord for the people in Judea. Okay? And so forth. All the prophets were like that. In the, in the, the prophecy of Agabus. I mean, not who that is, but you can check it out sometime in the book of Acts. He's the one who said there's going to be a great famine. Right? Well, what was that? Well, you can say, wow, he predicted. Okay, fine. But what matters is that he knew from who? It was this just his own thing? You know, did he have some kind of a special cards or something that he threw together and said, oh, this says that, the, that there's going to be a, a famine coming. Absolutely not. He heard it from the Lord. So it's whatever the message is, it could be talking about the future or the present, whatever it is, it's thus says the Lord that matters. Thus says the Lord. The prophet delivered the message from the Lord. It could be a prediction of the future, but more often it was a warning or a teaching. We will see a lot more about the gift of prophecy when we get to chapters 12 and especially thir- uh, chapter 13 and especially 14. We will see a lot more about this particular gift, prophecy, when we arrive in chapters 13 and 14. And by the way, the distinguishing of spirits went with prophecy. In a sense, that was how God, God marked the prophecy as genuine. He would have other prophets that would be discerning the message and either, either saying, yes, this is what the Lord is saying, or no, it's not. So you needed that protection. You need that often, by the way, with communicating gifts. You need, that, you need the protection. Why? Because there's false apostles. There's false teachers. And the people need to know that. Okay. By the way, we can think about this, the principle, as being in operation today. Only now it's pastors keeping an eye on the message. And if, and if another pastor is communicating something that's heretical, then the pastors have to step up and call it out. Okay. So that's two more gifts. Prophecy and the distinguishing of spirits. Now, to another, various kinds of tongues. Guess what that another word is in the Greek? Anybody want to guess? Hetero. So what is he saying? He's saying, all right, first two are a group, second five are a group, last two are a group. What is he saying? He's saying that, you know what, the real trouble you guys are having are with the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, tongues, and their interpretation. That's, what he's really, that's why he groups them the way they are. He says, these two we're going to have to deal with, wisdom and knowledge, okay? These two... Tongues and the interpretation of tongues we're going to have to deal with. And the other five are in there for their own purpose. And it's not complete. So the last two are what? They're set apart from all the other gifts, but they're together. And they both have to do with tongues. To another hetero, various kinds of tongues. And to another alo, the interpretation of tongues. They are the same kind. They both have to do with tongues. I want to say something about tongues from the outset. It was unique. The gift of tongues was unique, and maybe not the, for the reason you might be thinking. This was why it was unique. It was part sign gift. In other words, there's something of the supernatural involved. It was a sign of something. But it was also could be a private gift. Paul's going to talk about the fact that he speaks more, tongues more than anybody else. But it's going to talk about the fact that it, it could be private. It's saying when somebody speaks in a tongue, they build up themselves. It's the only, only gift that is talked about that way. So it's part sign gift, part private gift, and in a very limited manner, a speaking gift. What we call a revelatory, bringing out new information in a very limited manner. We'll see Paul have to deal with that in chapter 14. That's what I mean about unique. It's got three features to it, whereas most of the other gifts just have two, one rather. Private gift, this is the only one. 
That's mentioned that way. Sign gift, well, there are the others, like healings and miracles. And revelatory gifts, and there are, there are several of those as well. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy. Now, something else I want you to, I want you to understand about this. We'll see a lot more, by the way, about tongues in chapters 13 and 14 also. But these two, prophecy and tongues, each needed a corresponding gift that was right there with it to regulate their use. In other words, these are the ones that could get out of hand. I dare say that you can see today that when you have competing pastors or competing people in the congregation that all want to speak, or, or the people that are speaking tongues today, and it's just a mess, it's a cacophony, right? It can get out of control in a heartbeat. So what does it need? It needs to be regulated. These are the only two that are, have regulators right there with them. What do I mean? Well, prophecy and tongues are both communication to a limited degree for tongues. And you had to have a regulation factor with prophets, and it was other prophets. The distinguishing of spirits. Those with the gift of tongues had, a gift of, had another person with a gift of interpreting tongues, which made those words understandable. They're just, people don't understand these, these, what he's saying when he's talking in the tongue. Only when an interpreter comes up, interprets, translates them so that they're understandable, do they do anything to build up the congregation. I want to say something else about the gift of tongues. It's not mentioned in any of the other New Testament letters besides 1 Corinthians. This is the only one. That's not true of other gifts. Prophecy is named three other times, for example. But this particular gift, tongues, is only mentioned in one letter, 1 Corinthians. It's not in Romans, not in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians, which is interesting because it's to the same church, and so on. Not in in Ephesians, just here. Not only that, but when it is here in a list, it's always mentioned last. It's always mentioned last. There's a message there. This is the least important one. It's causing all the trouble, but I'm going to put it last so that you understand that it's the least important of all of them. He does that in verses 8 to 10. He does it again, and we saw in verse 28, and yet again in verse 30. When it's in a list, it's always last. As a matter of fact, and we'll see this in chapter 14, just about the only positive thing that Paul can come up with to say about the functioning of gifts, of tongues rather, in the congregation just about the only positive thing he can think of to say is that it shouldn't be forbidden. Now that is not exactly a ringing endorsement, is it? Don't forbid it. That's all he says positive about it. Okay. Well, again, though, what's the emphasis? We see it here in verses 7 and 11, 7 through 11. What's highlighted again and again and again is the Spirit, through the Spirit, according to the Spirit. By the same Spirit. The one Spirit. He's repeating, repeating. Why? Because this is the main point. It's the manifestation of the Spirit. The gifts are all united and working together because they all originate from one person, the Holy Spirit. All of us were baptized into the body of Christ by the one Spirit. We've all been made to drink of the one Spirit. What really matters is that the Spirit has given these gifts. Now, remember I mentioned that Paul gives very little information about the nature of these gifts. Men come on the scene and they give their own opinions. They fill in the so-called missing information. That, my friends, is a huge, huge mistake. That's a huge mistake. If it's not there, don't fill in the blanks, the information. Again, what's the message? Real simple. Don't make a big deal out of the gifts themselves. He provides very little information. And in one case, negative information about tongues. Don't make a big deal out of the gifts themselves. Make a big deal instead of the Holy Spirit, who's distributing these gifts as he wills for the common good. The Spirit enables the gifts. Why? So that they'll work together. See, he's, he's, remember, he's the Spirit of unity. right? He, he, he gives unity to the body of Christ, and we are just to preserve it. That's what he's all about, all right? Because it's one body, body, body of the Lord, and that's what glorifies Jesus Christ. He enables all these gifts to work together. That's what matters. It doesn't matter, well, this individual gift. It matters that what, however he's gifted, the congregation, the body of Christ, they work together. They're to work together to accomplish his purpose. By the way, we need to resist the urge to embellish or also to pigeonhole the gifts. In other words, this must be something, or these are the only somethings. 
Paul isn't going to give any detail at all about the nature of these gifts until chapter 14. And even there, he only deals with two, prophecy and speaking in tongues. So again, he is not giving any kind of definitive list. He is not telling individuals to try to figure out what their gift is. That's not here. He doesn't tell them to do that. By the way, it's interesting. He doesn't even mention anything about counterfeit gifts and false prophets directly. He doesn't talk about any of that. See, he takes for granted that these gifts are at work in the congregation at Corinth. All of them. They're, in, they're working in the congregation in Corinth. They're in a public fashion. Everybody knew they were operating. They've seen them in operation. And that's that. All of these gifts were genuine. All of them were operating at that time. But the real story here isn't any of them individually, but the giver of the gifts and how he distributed them so that each member would have the same care for one another. Love, unity, one body, one spirit, one Lord Jesus Christ, one Father. And in the variety of gifts that we see, we see one God at work in the one body for his purpose and pleasure. The spirit is invisible. Invisible. I've never seen them. You've never seen them. But you know what we, what we do hear and see? He's invisible, but we hear the word of God being preached, and we know he's at work. In a moment of crisis for the congregation, we see a saint that pulls us through because of his powerful trust in the Lord. We know that that power came from the Spirit. We see a sick brother or sister being restored to full health. And it's an answer to our prayers. And we know we're seeing the handiwork of the Lord. Does it really matter at the end of the day how the Lord got it done? Doesn't it matter that he got it done? Isn't that true? Of course it's true. And who is the glory to give? I am a faith healer. Who's the glory? When somebody stands up and says that, where does all the glory go? To the man. Where should all the glory go? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. So it really doesn't matter how he does it. We, we, we ask for healing in prayer, and he grants it. And he, he doesn't always grant it, but when he does, we know it's the handiwork of the Lord. So often we think things are impossible. So often. But with God, what? All things are possible. All things. See, he's not even limited to working things out just in the gifts. He can do whatever he wants. All things are possible. And so something that we thought was impossible comes to be. When that happens, we know that God is at work. And yes, he will usually use the body to to bring that about, the body of Christ. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have done this, that you are at work And you have provided through the Spirit manifestations of the Spirit at work. Things that are public that we can see and hear. So that we know, we can see that the Holy Spirit is uniting us. Is providing things to build up the church. We thank you, Father. We also ask that you would help us see that. To be discerning about not the gift itself, but who's behind it. And what he's up to. Help us to have, first and foremost, the the glorifying of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the understanding that what matters in us is love for one another, and that you put those two things together with the Spirit, and great things happen. We thank you for all of that, Father. And we also thank you for the Gospel. We thank you that you saved us through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that the message is straightforward that we are to bring and deliver to the unbelievers, the lost in this world. The message that we're all sinners. We're born that way. Christ died for us. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and you raised him from the dead on the third day. So whoever hears this information, understands it and is convinced that it's true, believe in the Lord Jesus. Convinced that... Yes, He is God in the flesh. And yes, He did die for us, for me. When you're talking to an unbeliever, He died for you. He was buried and He was raised from the dead. He lives forever. And whoever believes in Him won't perish, but have eternal life. 
Father, we would ask that you would give us the ability through the Spirit to be bold in proclaiming the gospel to whoever needs to hear it. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right. Just want to mention again today that um, we don't pass a basket for gifts to the church. We, we want you to do it the same way that God did it. Graciously. Freely. No strings attached. All right. So because of that, we don't, we don't pass a hat around. We don't make, have people make pledges and so forth. We don't tithe. All right. If you want to give a gift, your motivation is right, you want to donate, we've got three ways. There's a box back there. You can send this in the mail, or you can go to our website and do that. But it won't, we will not put any pressure on you. Certainly not here. That's not what this is about. All right. All right. Let's close in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for reminding me that I have some announcements to make. <laughs> Just a couple. Just one, actually. Please come back Thursday, 7 o'clock, for our Bible study. It's Halloween, right? But we're going to be here studying the Word of God. Not to say anything bad about Halloween. I get, you know, kids love it and candy and all that. But, you know, we'll be here. We'll be studying the Word of God together. Whoever can make it, we welcome. We understand if you've got, you know, people knocking on your door, they're going to throw eggs at your house if you don't give them some candy. We get it, all right? All right. But, but other, you know, other than that, we would just um, like as many who can make it to come. Huh? Well, there'll be lots of good stuff to eat. There always are. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for gathering us all together as one family. We thank you that you provided your word and all the other gifts from the Spirit that are operating in our congregation. We thank you for all of this. We ask uh, all of this thanks to the, through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Amen. With that, you're dismissed. Have a great afternoon.